So if you can choose uh, one word, uh, what you say it's the most important personal trait in professional life? Mm, it would be empathy, I guess, mm, both in professional and personal life. What is your biggest motivation? Oh, again, one word. Empathy. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your definition of success? Uh, oh, um, whatever you do uh, uh, that keeps you excited and awake during the night, but you're happy when you wake okay. up in the morning. So happy awake. Happy awake. awake. Of course, we're talking about innovations here. So what does innovation mean to you? Uh, it would be um, an innovative way to solve a problem. So one of my professors used to say, uh, has, he said, idea, ideas fail, uh, problems stay. So <laughs> bet on problems. This is chair, place where we discuss innovations. And we talk about innovations here, and this is usually connected on the one side of the spectrum with startups and on the other one with big corporations, big tech giants. But are innovation like specifically their turf? Uh, when there is a talk about government, on the other hand, um, in most cases, first association is bureaucracy. Uh, what happened in recent years is that uh, leadership of some countries understood that nation prosperity uh, can be defined in different ways. Um, one of those ways is overall state digitalization, and that can result in prosperity of one nation. So this is the story of e-government and um, related innovations. So uh, I have a perfect guest for this topic, uh, Marta Solska-Tomowska. Marta, welcome to chair. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. So Marta, um, she's executive, executive advisor for digital government and digital innovation at the Prime Minister Office of Serbia. Um, because of her extensive experience, uh, she's in such a good position to innovate where somebody would probably say, I surrender to bureaucracy. So Marta, uh, your experience in private sector uh, probably gave you the edge. Uh, in what you're doing today. So can you pinpoint some specific domain knowledge or some specific um, experience from your early career that is uh, uh, helping you today in your work? Uh, well, yes, I've been uh, 15 years in the private sector and 10 years in the government sector. So it's uh, quite a long experience. <laughs> Please do not count my, my, my years, my age. It's an interesting Anyhow, journey, let's say like it's that. It's an interesting journey. <laughs> however, however uh, while I was in a, in a private sector, I was, I was lucky enough to be a CEO of uh, one of the internet service providers in the Balkans where we started not only internet access, uh, but also uh, we were we have registered the first uh, web domain uh, uh, the first we have designed the first website first e-banking application first e-commerce application so we were kind of pioneers in that and then I was invited to join the government at that time Macedonian government to um, help them uh, with the digitalization as well 
and uh, I was um, running a lot of initiatives that were really pretty much related to the digital transformation of the government, which has also drawn as an experience from the private sector where I was parallel to being, you know, uh, CEO of the internet service provider. I used to be um, uh, one of the heads of uh, uh, IT company, which is one of the biggest system integrators, which implemented the biggest uh, IT systems in the government again. So it was a tax system, it was um, a health insurance fund, treasury, customs, all these systems. Um, Besides that, I, I really understand the technology uh, behind that. I understand how the government and government mechanism is functioning. Uh, I had this drive that I inherited from the private sector, and that's that everything is doable, and then, uh, you know, that innovation is easy to do, it's easy to innovate. In uh, core, right? In, in the core, yeah. What would, uh, I, I am always quoting uh, Kundera, he would say uh, this unbearable uh, easiness of innovating, uh, which is, you know, in Serbian, nepodnošljiva lakoća inoviranja, in my case. Uh, is something that I took from the private sector and uh, and I bring to the government and then uh, I kind of impose this culture of easiness in be agile and doing uh, very interesting and innovative things that not only help governments but uh, will that that indeed help the citizens and the businesses to not to spend so much time in interaction with the government, but to do their own business and the interaction to be kind of seamless or digital or easy. Yeah, that's the idea. Like today, whenever somebody is starting business, they, they, they're trying to be focused on, on core of what they mm, do and mm, you need to have mm, a good ecosystem mm, to support that. Mm. But, uh, and we are coming to that, what you're doing right now, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be pretty interesting conversation. But before we come to that, I want to ask you to draw the parallel between government and big corporations. Mm. Is there any similarity mm -hmm. or differences how they approach innovations from your perspective? Mm. Huh. Um, well, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can think that because we are talking now about big corporations, there are similarities with the government and uh, the, the similarities are in the uh, notion that they are like kind of slow, that decisions are brought slow, that they are they're hierarchical and that they are sometimes even silos. But still there are huge differences between them uh, and those differences are the status of the government then the uh, the demonstration of power sometimes you know okay can you imagine a government building which is a big building scary by itself um, and then are some civil civil servants there that are working from eight to two to three or something and then you have to you have to ask them for some of your rights and you have to be um, uh, you have to kind of obey to certain rules 
And if you, if you think, this is what I always compare. You, so there is a galaxy, and in the old traditional government, there is a galaxy. In the center is the public servant or civil servant, and all the processes and services and citizens are, are orbiting around. You know, they're accommodating, adjusting to the rules of the government. In the new age, with this, uh, the rise of the modern uh, technological companies and with the, the, the rise of the technology overall and with the putting a focus on the customer experience and the customer, um, we have to change this notion and we have to put, even in the governments, we have to put citizens in the center and then processes and services and, and civil servants orbiting around. around. So that's, that's one difference. Uh, second difference is the rules. Everything is codified in the government. So even, even how the civil servants are acting, you know, how uh, there are codexes uh, of how, 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 uh, how they act in everyday life. Um, there are procedures, strict procedures, and there is a procedure, for example, that you can apply for the permit and then you can get the permit in 30 days. And they're like using that and waiting for the 30th day to, to give you the permit. So uh, there, because everything is regulated, there's no so much freedom to be creative, you know, to be innovative. Everything is written already. And um, of course, uh, the most important difference for me, at least, is uh, people, you know, uh, people that are working for companies and people that are working for the governments. Because uh, when you're in the government, you can choose your team. Uh, but when you are in government, you can barely choose your team because people that are employed, servants are employed and they're permanent employees, yeah. they're tenured. And you cannot really, you know, choose who are you working with. And if you're not able to do that, that is a huge problem because, you know, the mentality of the people cannot be easily changed. And, and when you say, uh, you know, um, in a, let's say, in a, there is a Pareto rule, you know, that Pareto rule, like 80-20. Uh, uh, and uh, companies in the private sector, they are like 20% um, uh, of the people doing 80% of the job. Um, in the government, you have like 5% of the people doing 95% of the job. But these are extremely good people. In the government, uh, there is a huge difference because these people that are really good in a government cannot be compared with the private sector because they have additional motivation to be good and that's the public interest, the public call, serving their own country, serving, and that's a greater goal. So this is kind of compensating, uh, you know, the problem with the, with the people uh, in, in, the in the government. But basically, yes, there, there are few few differences. Um, and that is not the case when we compare, let's say, uh, smaller companies uh, or even startups with the government. That's uh, totally different. And uh, if we compare them, what's the biggest difference and what is something that uh, governments can use from the startup mentality? Um, uh, the regulation and the setup, everything is totally different, totally different. But, but I have to admit that what we have seen lately in the past two or three years, and it was related to the pandemics, 
that some governments starting uh, to get to 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 have all the characteristics of startups, <laughs> which was really important. And Serbian government was one of them, definitely. So, you know, when you have a problem, and it's a and it's a really huge problem, and it's a pain, and you have to be fast and quick. And you have to be very agile in finding a solution. You organize differently. So small teams, very agile teams, not, there is no territorial you know, communication, uh, interdisciplinary teams, no lengthy reports, 100-page reports. But you have to you know, bring the decision quick. Everybody is involved. They're like not only civil servants, but you have all their... Their, their chiefs, their bosses, even ministers, even prime ministers, presidents, in the teams, working together, you know, this team spirit, like, yeah, we've done a great job, you know, and this is something that motivates everyone. And then when somebody uh, in, a, in a government now setting said, well, well, yes, we can do this, you know, uh, somebody who is like, it's not, you know, it's not uh, the procedure. We are not, we are not used to do this. That well, we we can do this. So it's not, it's not the regulation. It is the culture, you know. It's the cultural thing. So we have to work to keep that spirit that we earned somehow during the pandemics in the uh, in the coming years. So now it's the right time to ask you about. Uh e-government initiatives that you are involved in at this moment? What are you tackling right now? Hmm. Well, how uh, many different things? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a, that you started to count. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a very complicated puzzle. Yeah, you know, you have to take care of uh, some preconditions uh, that uh, there is enough... Um, digital access for the people that they, they can access e-government services that are literate, digitally literate enough to use those government services. But, you know, those are like many other, many different aspects of the of the mosaic, uh, of the puzzle of the e-government. Still, uh, when we are talking about just this digital public services, what is e-government, when you, you, you can imagine this portal, for example, of e-government, or different EU government portals, there are different different initiatives and that are related not only to the services themselves, which is the front, what you can see, but also the back office of the digital government, which is a very complicated system, which are comprised of different elements, um, like different databases. So every government institution, they have their own databases. There have to be road uh, to exchange this data. So that's uh, interoperability. They have to be orchestration softwares and platform. They have to be service generators. They have to be components like um, digital identities, digital payments, digital deliveries, all these background uh, the components, building blocks that, that normally you cannot see. But in the front, and this is what uh, customers, they, the citizens or businesses can see, is uh, e-government services. And basically, uh, we have listed, uh, there, has, there have been uh, about 6,000 different e-services, 
both for the citizens and for the businesses. And uh, we have a plan uh, and we are going according to this plan how to digitize these services. Um, and I can say that the majority, the majority of the most used services are all already digitized. And when you say, you know, I, I cannot say numbers because the numbers doesn't mean anything because you have services that are heavily used and you have services that are used by a small number of people. But when you think about what do you do and how do you start, it's like you are asking, you know, what are the people basically doing in, throughout their lives? They're born, they have to die, eventually they have to pay taxes. <laughs> or this is the American, they have to pay taxes. Yeah. This is the American Only to way. die and pay taxes, and that's it, right? Yeah, and then they have to go to some school, they have to go to, to, to be employed, um, they have to go to the doctor, and those are the types of the services that you are digitizing first, you know, that are going to this transformation uh, first. And uh, uh, then there are different services that are related to, you know, uh, judiciary system, to business, of course, this different licenses and permits and so on. So we are really pretty good at that, and we're almost kind of, you know, every single week launching a, a different service. Today I have come to a very impressive data that um, we are really uh, coming very close to uh, 100 million uh, transactions that have been done through the e-government portal. For, for how long period? Uh, since it started like five years, uh, which means that we have spared our citizens and businesses for... Uh, 100 million times going to the government counters and getting and applying for some document and getting some document, which would then translate into time and money uh, for it's a saving for only for our citizens, which would be uh, as a time, as we say, one document, one hour, uh, meaning three euros, costing three euros, meaning 30 Three hundred million euros, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a huge. That's a huge. So, not to count, not to count what are the savings for the government, and uh, and we still count what are the savings in paper, which is really crazy again, <laughs> uh, because this you know all these papers, documents that are issuing needs to you know to to trees. They cost in trees. They cost in uh, uh, electricity and they cost in water to produce this paper from the trees, which has been about um, 30,000 trees so far, according to the calculations, how many uh, so cool. pieces yeah. of paper uh, has one, one tree, uh, which means one huge, huge, huge forest. So you are so that's not... Five, that's something that is out of the scope, you know? This is really happening. Besides, you know, everything else, the the... What is the benefits of the digital government that you can do whatever transaction out of your home or your office, uh, don't have to 24-7, 365 days in a, uh, in a year. So, that's so you're not just in the business of digitizing the services, but saving, uh, uh, saving yeah. nature, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this, well, while saying this, we're, uh, you know, it's basically what we have provided as services and citizens can see. But still, we're doing very interesting things in the moment. So there are like uh, 
not only these services and basic services that that uh, some of them I mentioned, but still we're trying to implement these disruptive technologies in the in the in the services. So um, we are piloting or we are already using um, artificial intelligence or IoT or mixed reality in some of the services, uh, also robotic process automation. And we are trying to, you know, to, to implement uh, in the public sector what has been now something that is uh, kind of a, um, a normal a mainstream in the in the private sector and in some of the domains we are kind of even ahead of, the, so of cool. the private sector <laughs> uh, tell me one thing you you mentioned so many different aspects of what you did and what you worked on and what are the goals but if you can pinpoint well not maybe one but uh, a small group of of uh, initiatives that you worked on that was extremely challenging. What would you say it was one of the biggest challenges in your career doing this kind of work? Mm -hmm. Well, technology is not a challenge per se. I mean, technology is new. It's I mean, there, uh, it's you still, need to know how uh, to use you it. You need to use it, but that's not the biggest challenge because you can, you, you, you can uh, learn how to use the technology following what is going on in the private sector, in the world. So you're following the trends and you can learn. And we have a lot of smart people here that already know all the technologies and uh, we are leaders in certain domains, uh, you know, Web3 or, or blockchain. So we have these experts, AI, we are good in AI as well. So we have experts in that. The, the biggest challenge for me is uh, the mindset, you know, this uh, uh, how do you make... Uh, public sector and public servants open to embrace this innovation and these innovative technologies. And this, is, this can be a pain uh, sometimes, but still um, we are really working hard even on that. So we are trying to educate uh, civil servants on uh, how can you innovate in a public sector. So what are innovation strategies. We are taking examples from uh, uh, private sector for the biggest, uh, from the biggest IT companies. So they learn about, I don't know, uh, Jeff Bezos, what are his innovation strategies. We are learning about big uh, companies or very famous companies. And maybe some of them are, are old companies, are dinosaurs. For example, Volvo or BMW. But still, they but are learning they these innovation the, strategies like, you know, cross-pollination, analogy, periphery. There are different, uh, different innovation strategies. Also, we, are, uh, we have started these courses through the National Academy of Public Administration or or on data science. So we have teams of data officers from each individual uh, government agency, which is a lawyer and IT person, IT expert. So they learn about data science and they learn how to implement uh, data uh, science and data analytics in the everyday work um, and how to, at the end, design data-driven policies because the best policies are the ones that are uh, driven on data and they're not, uh, they're not estimation of or how some policy will affect certain category of, of, of the population. And then we are also having these courses on uh, fourth industrial revolution. So 
this is impressive, really, and we are one of the first countries in the world that is teaching uh, the public sector on the emerging technologies. So we have seven modules, uh, such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, I don't know, IoT, blockchain, uh, uh, then uh, virtual reality and uh, augmented reality, then robots and drones and 3D printers and uh, platform economy. So they better understand how the world is changing so they can regulate. We've seen, I've seen recently um, one video footage of, um, you know, police in some countries pulling uh, uh, self-driving autonomous car, you know, and they don't know what to do with it. You know, that's... Yeah, I saw uh, yeah, it because what, it was what, driving without yeah, lights. Light. Yeah. It's crazy. Light. Or um, uh, then also uh, what is, at the, you know, uh, Uber? Is it, uh, is it a taxi company or is it an uh, IT company? Or data what is company, there? Yeah. Or, or data company. Or, I mean... They have to regulate this, so there no, no, no. The benefit of having these uh, trainings for the civil servants is not only how they can use these new technologies to improve their business, their working with the government, but also how to regulate the world <laughs> that is with all the the changes that are happening now. You mentioned so many good examples, but I want to ask you about the example um, of, for a long time, it was best e-government in the world, right? Mm. It was mm. Estonia. Mm. And um, uh, they had a basically very good starting position, right? Because right. when Soviet Union collapsed, they didn't have any infrastructure. Mm. And that was the point when internet emerged, services emerged, and they decided to become completely digital, mm. right? Mm. So they started fresh, started from the clean mm. state. How today government, governments all around the world mm. can compete with that because they don't have clean slate, they don't have fresh start. So how you can move fast and come to the position that they, uh, uh, yeah. they became leaders? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Estonian case were, was one in, in the world. So there is no other case, you know, and, and they even not only they started from a clean slate because they don't have the systems and they had to they had to uh, build their own systems and they were lucky because their president was uh, uh, an engineer. So his mind was working on that direction already. But they also, uh, you know, they're famous for uh, changing, terminating the contracts for everyone that works in the public sector and hiring new people again while testing them on their innovation capacity and how can they contribute. So the slate was really clean, you know, uh, and they have done amazing job. They have done like, and they are number one. They're not only e-government, they're e-Estonia, you know. Um, but uh, in our case, we have started pretty late, let's say. It was just 2016-17 with when Prime Minister Anna Brnabic said e-government or digital government is our number one priority, uh, along with the economy, of course. And then 
there's huge effort put and strong, very strong leadership, you know, because digital transformation as a, of a government is a leadership thing. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. You, won't do you it. can have money, but if you don't have leadership and you don't have this vision, you, you can do it. Or maybe you can have leadership, but you don't have money. And leadership is about providing resources to do that. So we have been lucky enough to have this leadership, to have these resources, and we were really agile and fast. And we leapfrogged some of the stages that other countries were passing through. So now I can say that we are pretty, pretty good, one of the fastest government, and that can be shown in, as, in, in the example during the pandemics. You know, with this vaccination, if you remember vaccination software, yeah. it was all over the news. You know, even it was all over the news globally, global media outlets. Forbes was writing about what is the situation, you know, the case of Serbia. Because we have all the elements there for this uh, vaccination software. We were quick enough to assemble, to assemble basically uh, the application. We were open enough to work with the IT sector and to ask them for support and we were quick enough to to work together and to deliver the solution in 15 days and that was very complicated solution that wasn't an easy one you know even the idea was something you know to pre-register for a vaccine you know nobody thought of that because we we started this we while we didn't have the vaccines we didn't have them, really. So uh, we said, okay, we're going to do the pre-registration. This was an element that we took from another service that we had, you know. We had all the databases connected. We just set up the, the system and we were able to know in the time when the vaccines, every single vaccine touched the ground of Serbia coming by plane, we know who will get this vaccine, where, and when. And we have a buffet of vaccines like no one in the world. We have four vaccines to, yeah. you know, to choose from. And they all have different um, you know, ways, cold chains, how to keep them in someone on minus 70 degrees, someone were okay on the normal uh, temperature. And in order to organize this delivery and supply and delivery chain, there have to be very smart rules and algorithms behind. And we did, did it like, just like this because we have thought about, you know, uh, and we have built all the elements of the, let's say, e-government system, this interoperability registers, everything. We have been really fast and, and, and delivered one of the best solutions in the world. So this is, digital government is about the agility now. It's becoming the agility now. So, um, and most of the countries that have best results during the crisis, uh, not only in a medical, let's say, results, but also, also in economy, were the ones that were quick enough, you know, and digital enough. So, mm, Last year we were we have the one of the best GDP growth in Europe. This year, eventually, I don't know about the situation with the war now, but still, there is a chance to do that. So that's the spirit, and that's the the help of digitalization. 
So now we are coming to the future. And uh, it's always an interesting question, whatever is the topic of innovation that we are uh, tackling. But uh, especially with e-government, I presume it's very interesting topic to, to, to discuss future of e-government. What do you think it is? But you see it is because I know that you're basically in the front line of what they're doing in the world and what you are doing here. Whenever uh, you, you mention future or anyone mentions future, I think of uh, William Gibson, uh, the father of uh, the, the term uh, cyberspace. He said the future is here, but it's not well distributed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when we talk about the government, uh, I, I have to... I have to say that there was a, you know, there is an evolution, like in any uh, other domain, there is evolution in e-government. It started by uh, having analog government through e-government, going to digital government and smart government, you know. So analog government, you, you understand what is analog government. You want to forget area. about it, right? E-government <laughs> is... Still, you know, somebody, people are usually mixing e-government with uh, digital government. Uh, it's an improved, let's say, version of e-government, but majority of processes are digitized and there is no uh, application of, let's say, paper documents that you print, for example, something, you know, print the application form, Fill it and send it by, by mail, by post, whatever. So that's kind of e-government. Still, people are confusing. And then we'll have digital government, which is the stage we are in, and starting towards a smart government, which can be also said as a invisible government or, or seamless government, which is um, something that means that government is not going to be, you know, uh, something that will really use much of the people's life to interact with the government. Well, government will be more like uh, with the three stages in the smart government, in the government, when you, when you talk about sophistication of the services, you have reactive, proactive, and predictive services. So smart government is the one that provides predictive services. Uh, which means that when you uh, apply for, for certain rights, then you have the first time that you are eligible to drive, for example, and you have, you're eligible to have a driving license, and I will come to the license itself, itself uh, later, that you are requesting the right to drive, basically, and you do that first time by interacting with the government, but the second time you're not doing this because the government knows that the expiration of, of your right to drive is 10 years, and when it's the last day of the 10th year, you are receiving at, at your home address uh, information that you are entitled to drive another 10 years. And in this process, there are no documents. So the future is there is no documents in the government. Why is that? Because in the analog government, you get a paper from one government agency or institution that you don't need for yourself because you, you, don't, you can all, only frame it 
in your house, but the use is when you bring it to another government institution. For example, you get the birth certificate uh, from one government agency to, to give it to another government agency so they can issue a citizenship. And that's so the only use, right? Yeah, and that's the only use. And, or, or other government agencies for some other use. So you are the courier, you are the delivery boy of the government. But now the government agencies are communicating. They are interconnected. So you don't have to prove anything to have a paper, you know. So when you, when you um, have this right to drive, you are eligible to drive, uh, then when a policeman stops you, you don't need to show them your driving license, because they can check in the register by identifying yourself with your personal ID that you have the right to drive. So the notion of having paper documents in the government is something that uh, will not exist in the future. So that's the main trends in the government besides the trend about the customer services and how do you communicate with the government, not for uh, documents, not for issuing documents or getting some services, permits, licenses, certificates, but to complain, to, to have communication with the government is the metaverse now. So there are some governments uh, and I've seen some prototypes. I was lucky enough to get some, to see some of the prototypes uh, uh, of, let's say, of the UAE government uh, that they're having these real people in a metaverse in a metaverse setting, and that will be launched very soon. So they are, you know, talking and having these complaints or exchanging information, whatever. Or maybe a government, um, local government of Seoul. So it's a city, basically city government. They have even built their own metaverse where the public officials are avatars and the communication is happening in the metaverse. So you have your, you know, uh, VR set and you're communicating like that. Or the city of Hong Kong is doing something similar. Or even uh, what I said lately, uh, there is a pilot in uh, going on in UAE now that still there's documents, because I was talking that in the future we are not going to have documents, but still they have documents, but they are delivering to you by drone. So the driving license is going to get to you and be delivered by, by drone. So these are some of, the, some of the crazy things that are going on in the world. But anyhow, I mean, whatever happens in the, in the, in the business world, because on the bottom line, you know, government services are services like any other service that you can receive from the private sector, from the business sector. Bottom line is the same. Bottom right? line is the same thing. Uh, the customer experience, which has been called government experience now, and instead of having, of having CX like customer experience or UX like user experience, like we now GX. have JX. Yes. Uh, it is improving uh, towards this uh, you know, Galaxy, I was talking about having the citizen in the center and everybody and institutions and civil servants and services and procedures themselves orbiting uh, around the citizen. Marta, this was extremely interesting and the uh, insights that you shared are, uh, I'm 
sure some somewhat unique uh, uh thank you so much for this i enjoyed it and for you out there next thursday next innovation talk subscribe see you thank you thank you very much i enjoyed it as well thank you